Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, verse 20 through 37. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. We're going to cover that portion of scripture, but we're going to give a lot of different other, a lot of other supporting texts. And I want to share with you, when we get to the end of this message, I want to share with you a passage of scripture that has spoken to me this week in an incredible way. And I believe that it is a portion of scripture that you can own, that you can take to your prayer closet this week, uh, and maybe every day commit to reading it for some time as God changes your heart. How many are having trouble in your heart and in your life dealing with all the turmoil that's going on today? How many are having trouble? Come on, be honest. Come on, I really can't see it because these lights, but anybody? All right, great. I hope you're uh, raising your hand, but if you're having trouble, if you're having turmoil, if you're not able to uh, continue, if you will, as a disciple of Christ, there's something wrong. We are called to minister and called to live during these times. We knew it was going to happen. We talked about it last week. So if you're having trouble, then I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you in those areas that you can repent of, and then he can lead you into a gospel-centered life and to Uh, be a part of the real change that needs to take place. And so if you think, well, I don't know what I can change. I don't know what I can do differently. I don't know. That could be part of the problem. Maybe you're not open. Maybe maybe you have all the answers. Maybe that uh, all of these headlines and all of these stories doesn't affect you, so it doesn't need a change from you. It affects you. It's affecting your world. It's affecting what God loves, so therefore it should be affecting you. And if it's not, once again, if you're confronted in an area where you're convicted, then you need to repent and and change from that today. But I promise you, we're going to land on a scripture, and I'll tell you when when we get there. We're going to land on a scripture that will help you, that will guide you, and it will minister to you. Uh, But the story, really, the text that we're going to Uh, be going through is Luke 17, verses 20 through 37. Look at the title slide up here. We see, let's go to the title, uh, Walking Dead, Matthew 23, 27. You'll kind of get an idea uh, of where I'm going here with this title. Maybe read it with me here. Can you see it? Woe unto you, scribes and, what's the next word? Hypocrites, for ye are like unto Whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. That resonates with me a little bit in 2020. Walking dead. Those that look like they are the church. Those that are ready to put their Christianity on display. Why did sepulchers, let me translate that 2020, you're a grave with flowers on it. You look pretty. The grass is cut. It's nice and trimmed. But guess what? Dead people go there. People that aren't alive, people that have no life to live, rest there. And and the only beautiful thing about it is what's on the outside because there is no life on the inside. Walking dead. And I don't know, maybe turn me down in my monitors, that might help me. Uh, but, but here's the thing, I don't know of maybe a more telling description of the church of God today and what I'm hearing in a response to the turmoil that the world is going through, walking dead. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect you. It's not something you want to get involved with. Christianity should be just about you and your family. I'm sorry, that ain't true. There were another group of people, there, there was another group of people when Jesus was around that it was all about them. And that they were trying to seek a way that Jesus was to fit their theology or their script, if you will. And they were trying to force him into the mold that they thought made sense. And guess what? He called them out on it. He said, woe unto you. You're a bunch of walking dead. Hey, listen. I'm preaching to myself today. I'm going to let myself have it. Y'all okay with that? You may feel like I'm going to let myself have it for a second real quick and straighten this rug before I lose my mind. If you feel like today's coming at you or I'm being mean or hateful, I'm just preaching to myself. So just, if you think about it, just say, Pastor Matt, don't be so hard on yourself, okay, uh, while you're listening to the message. But if it, if it applies to you too, please go ahead and apply it. But I don't want to have a church full of dead people. Jesus promised living water to those that were on the outside, and God forbid I preach living water and a word of God that is alive, that is powerful, that will change lives, and then we come in and find out we're all dead. We find out that the church of God quit doing living things a long time ago. Woe unto us. Let's walk through this passage today. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. Look at this scripture. For the weapons of our warfare are not what? carnal. They're not worldly. They're not your logic. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but what? Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. As we engage with scripture today, as we engage with what is live, what is spiritual, what is going to actually be a part of a change, and what is physical, what doesn't matter, things that are temporal, carnal, we need to identify the fact that we as Christians have picked up some carnal tools. We've picked up some carnal logic. We've picked up some thinking along the way. We have isolated ourselves in order to be effective or in order to raise our children the way they think they, the way we think they should be raised. And if we're not careful, we're going to be very carnal in the way that we're trying to do a spiritual thing. That was the Pharisees. Acts 1.3, look at this. Acts 1.3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, watch this, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to what? The kingdom of God. After Jesus Christ rose from the dead, when he came back and showed himself alive to over 500 witnesses, to the apostles, to the disciples, what was on the tip of his tongue? What was he concerned with? The kingdom of what? God. What does it mean to be a Christian? Church? Huh? Be Christ-like. What's it mean to be a Christian? Be what? Christ-like. You're going to act like Jesus. When Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, when he was here for those 40 days on earth, he was concerned about talking about the kingdom of God. He was concerned about showing himself alive, about letting them know that everything he said was true, about the fact that the gospel is the only effective spiritual tool. He commissioned his disciples and he said, carry this message to the end of the world. He didn't say carry a carnal message. He didn't say carry your thoughts, carry what you think should be done, carry how you were raised, carry your cultural context, carry what you think needs to be done in the world. No, no, no. If we want to be Christ-like, man, this is definitely a splash zone today. Sorry, I have a cough drop in my mouth. 
But if we are going to be Christians, if you are concerned with living like our Savior, you're going to have to lay your carnal mindset down and be concerned with the kingdom of God. Luke 17, the verses that we are about to dive into are all about the kingdom of God. He was trying to explain to them what was coming, how this was going to look, and boy, is it applicable today. Mm. So when his earthly ministry comes to a close, he seals the deal to speak to them, showing himself alive about the kingdom of God. We, we see here that there are two kingdoms. There are earthly, I'll come back and read Luke here in a minute. Let's skip ahead just a little bit. We'll come back and read it. There are two kingdoms. There are earthly and there are spiritual kingdoms. Earthly and spiritual. Say it with me. Earthly and spiritual. We could say carnal, right, and spiritual. The earthly, the seen, the physical kingdom, Psalm 29.10 says, The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord is over the earthly kingdom. Listen to this verse, Psalm 145, 13. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout what? Does that include this one? Does that include others that maybe don't look like us or act like us? Yes, it does. God's kingdom, it transcends generation. It transcends color. It transcends background. It transcends cultural context. You have to understand that he is sovereign over all, for all. And he sits on the flood. What is it? What, what do we, how do we make this? How do we formulate our worldview? What we see is that the earthly kingdom is something that he's over. And that his spiritual, eternal kingdom is something that he will bring to pass through all all generations as he is overall. So that means what are you dealing with? What are you struggling with today? Hey, Simone. Good to see you. Praying for you. What, what are you dealing with today? Guess what? You're dealing with something that he is over. You're dealing with something that is within his kingdom. So let's not have bad theology and give the devil more credit than he should have in the beginning. Well, the devil did it. Well, he's in control. Well, as soon as the Lord comes back, he'll set it all right. He's been the Lord throughout all generations. The devil only moves and does something if the Lord gives him permission to do it. You think Satan has more power than God? You think God is just going to let him go and wreck something that he, John 3, 16, gave his son for? That he loved all generations for? You think he's just going to hit pause on his reign and say, be back in a few? <laughs> God bless See you on a few. He doesn't hit pause throughout all generations. He doesn't choose one people group over another. Well, he did Israel. Sure, he chose a people group to bring about his son, but even in the law, he always made a place for the stranger. He always made a place for someone outside of that covenant community to come in. And then we see when Jesus came and brought the law to fulfillment, he extended it to every tribe and every tongue. This is something that he is Lord over and sovereign over. So turn on the news, go ahead and watch it, and don't be fearful thinking that those things are outside of something that God controls. It is inside. It is under. He sits on the flood. He sits on the problems. He sits on the good. He sits on the bad. He sits in front of for every nation. we got to understand that 
Well, the spiritual kingdom and the earthly. Earthly is Satan. God is over everything. He's sovereign over all. 2 Peter 3, 12 through 13, though, we should understand how our perspective should be formed towards it. Some of y'all need to write these scriptures down, and you need to go back, and you need to study them in your walk with God and in your quiet time with him. 2 Peter 3, 12 through 13, looking for, hasting unto, that's, that's what you call, like, anticipation. Why do we have Christians that are looking for and anticipating bad things when Peter is saying we should be looking for and anticipating good things? Because we don't know theology. We don't know what the Bible says. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise. Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein, wherein, wherein dwelleth righteousness. What we have to understand is that the story of the gospel is about two kingdoms coming together. I'm going to say that again. The story of the gospel is about two kingdoms coming what? Together. It's about how he's going to bring the earth into the spiritual kingdom. It's about how these dry bones can live. It's about how uh, the Son of God came to this earth and he said, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. It's about how those that are suffering from sin can be made alive. It's about a physical kingdom coming into a spiritual kingdom for all eternity. That's the gospel. Jesus said, what I have begun is the first fruits among many. What does that mean? As we believe and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are a part of something that is out of this world supernatural. And the supernatural will make its way into the natural, and it will affect the change that is needed. You see, if you are trying to change the physical, temporal world, the physical problems, the problems of race and prejudice, the problems of hatred with temporal, carnal tools of what you think policy is going to do, what you think politics is going to do, you're wrong. It's the only, the only thing that will fix it is the gospel and is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He comes into this world that is dead and makes it alive. Mm. But we don't know the promises of God. Therefore, we put our faith and trust in a physical kingdom instead of a spiritual kingdom. And we make them the same mistake that the walking dead made, the Pharisees. We will dialogue here about three people in this story. Jesus, the Pharisees, and the disciples. Y'all better buckle up. Y'all are already having trouble. I can already tell. It's, I, I can feel it. I can't see any of you, but I can feel it. Let's read some scripture, okay? Luke 17. Look at the screen if you need it. Luke 17. We're going to go verses 20 through 37. Verses 20 through 37. Listen to this wording. I just can't even believe this. The audacity of these fellas. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees. We're talking about Jesus. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It ain't a place that you're looking for. It's not an address. It isn't a building. It's inside. It's within you. 
And he said unto his disciples, man, isn't that something? I just, the Lord hit me with something. How about, how about the kingdom of God being inside someone that you don't like? If you can't get past what you're looking at, then there's a problem because the kingdom of God will come and rest in all generations, in all races. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? If it isn't a place, and it's a person, and it's within, I wonder how many of you hate God. Just, that was free. And he said unto his disciples, the days will come. When ye shall desire to see, right? Pharisees make a demand. He shifts his focus and he says, hey, disciples, check this out. The ones that had ears to hear, right? The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And ye shall not see it. And they shall say unto you, see here or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. These are specific words, right? Specific commands. For as the lightning that lighteth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven... So shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And in that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. And he that is in a field, let him likewise not return back. Check this out. This is just a chilling verse. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall what? lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you in that night there shall be two men in in one bed. One shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in a field. The one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, where Lord? And he said unto them, wheresoever the body is, thither the thither Will the eagles be gathered together? As we dialogue here about the kingdom of God, we find three different perspectives of this kingdom that Jesus is giving. Number one, for the Pharisees, we find a problematic view. The kingdom poses a problem for them. The disciples, the kingdom positions them for eternal significance. He's giving them specific instruction to be positioned in the right place where they, they are effective for the kingdom of God. And then Jesus, we see that the kingdom is manifested in him. We see he brought it to earth. The Pharisees, and many included Jews, are seeking only an earthly, physical reign here, which is why the Pharisees were demanding of him. They were ready for him to set up his kingdom now. Take over the government. Overthrow. The same kind of stuff Christians say today are the same things they were saying. Walking dead. They, they wanted a physical reign from the Messiah. Through rabbinical writings and an improper view of their own righteousness, the Pharisees came to the conclusion that they were deserving of a kingdom based on their goodness. They were ready for the earthly manifestation of how awesome they were. And that's what, what I fear. I feel that we as the church, 
are after a, a manifestation of how awesome we are as the church instead of something that glorifies God. Let's look at the error in the Pharisees' ways. Before we jump into the perspective of the disciples and how we are supposed to act towards the kingdom of God, which will help us today and hopefully uh, allow us to leave with the right context of how we should behave and operate and live as the church in 2020, let's look at the problematic view first, how the Pharisees were wrong in their view of this earthly kingdom that they wanted right away. First of all, let's look at this. Pharisees, number one, just skip ahead there a little bit. I think we can find it. None of this is Jose's fault. It's always my fault. Problematic view of the kingdom. Number one, see it? When we should be giving respect, right? But instead are putting in requests. Look at verse 20 right there in your, in your Bibles. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees. The Greek word there is aperiteo. It means a request from someone of equal standing. They were going king to king. The Pharisees were going to Jesus like they were on his level. Hmm. They lacked a chain of command. Remember when he taught us to pray, he said, you pray our what? Father. That's headship. Chain of command. We live in a culture that desires equality, but uses tyranny to get there. The king is the only person that can change the kingdom. We cannot play the role of God in our lives and then turn around and make a request from God like he is a co-worker. When we have a king, we will live in subjection instead of gathering subjects. As the church, a problematic view is when you are looking at things as you are equal. The gospel calls us all to be servants. The gospel calls us all to lose our life for his sake, to serve a God that is greater. And why? Because we have a God that gave us the example. If this was like every other cult and false religion, it would be the guy who was controlling it has everything. Right? When you look back at cults, when you look back at things that were uh, obviously a disaster, some, there's a lot of good ones on Netflix that you can watch. Just don't watch them with your kids. Uh, but stories of of people that started these, you know, these certain sects of religion that were offshoots of others. Look at the guy who was running it all. He had it all. He was the one that had all the women. He was the one that had all the money. He was the one that had all the control. But see, <laughs> Jesus became obedient unto death. Jesus took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. We have a God that proved that he was who he said he was by humbling himself, by being the example. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have come and wrecked the world with his kingdom in righteousness as the judge, and he would have been right in doing so. But he modeled an example and a behavior of us becoming lesser than, of us looking at our enemies and loving them, of us being able to be persecuted by, being put in a position of danger, being someone that lowers ourselves underneath someone of tyranny so that we can prove to them that we love them. That is the upside-down view of the gospel. But see, the Pharisees were like this. Oh, no, you get on my level. 
Oh, no, I deserve goodness. Oh, no, I deserve, and that's the problem. When bad things happen to Christians that have a problematic view of the kingdom, they blame God. And then they start making demands toward God, a parateo. They demanded of him the kingdom of God. The word of God never makes demands. We always allow ourselves to walk through the valley of shadow of death. Because we know that we don't fear because we are in God. And ultimately, 2 Peter, he is going to bring about his kingdom regardless of how the physicality of our world plays out. A problematic view of the kingdom of God is where we are on equal. Where we use this message of equality, but really it's tyrannical. The real Christians don't care if they're taken advantage of. Real, real Christians invite it. And love their enemies no matter what. Man, they're getting over on me. Great. That's a wonderful gospel opportunity for you to show them that what's more important is them and what's in them and their heart more than the money that you owe them or they owe you, more than the injustice that they did towards your children or you towards their children. This is a proper view of the... This is some thick stuff. It's thick stuff. A problematic view of the kingdom is when we should be giving respect to others, respect to our God, but we're making demands. Why are you acting that way? Why, why do you think you should have? Listen, church, we got to be the kingdom of God. We have to be the agents of change by being the change, by looking at things through the lens of a spiritual kingdom that Jesus is bringing about. How do I do that? Look at the life of Christ. Be Christ-like. He could have been a, I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted to, and he chose to lay down his life. Number two, when we measure the kingdom in what is seen, we have a problematic view of the kingdom. Look at verse 20. He said to them, when he was demanded, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Let me help you with something, church. If you're trying to see something physically come to pass, and you have elevated that over someone, over someone's heart, if you have elevated a position that is seen more than the reason the position exists to reach people, then we have a problematic view of the kingdom of God. I know this is kind of deep, but it's needed. It's needed. I put on here, I wrote down for an illustration, a solo cup. I've said this before. What's great about a solo cup? And then we made this discussion last time that they're not reusable. They're made to be thrown away. <laughs> you people who are washing solo cups are a part of the problem. No. <laughs> Man, we put them things in the dishwasher. <laughs> we'll shoot fire. Oh, that's a problem. The great thing about a, a solo cup is that there is no great thing about a solo cup. It's what's what? In the cup. And I'm not here to judge you about what's in your cup, okay? <laughs> we got to think solo cup. When we live in a world that is all about painting the outside and ignoring the inside, you need to take your little gold uh, diamond studded chalice and put it in storage and go pick up a solo cup. You need to, you need to be a vessel unto honor and allow God to pour into you and allow God to make you new, and allow God to repair you to be used for and by him. We're not here to be a bunch of pretty people. We're broken. Number three, 
the problematic view of the Pharisees before we get into the real, the good stuff. When we are searching but not experiencing. When we are searching but not experiencing. Look at verse 22. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Listen, if you are searching for something instead of experiencing something, here's a big problem I find with modern day 2020 Christians that have a problematic view of the kingdom of God. There used to be a John Chris video about this, about church hunters looking for the right church, right? And if we're looking for a place to make us feel good, instead of being plugged in to where God has us to experience his goodness, we got a problem. We got a problematic view. Once again, we're people that want to be made to, and I'm not talking about being made to feel good, right? We're people who are looking for that feeling instead of experiencing the goodness of God. Man, when you walk through a tough, hard time, when you have a tough, hard week, when life hits you upside the head, and God is still good, God has still revealed himself to you, you have a proper view of the kingdom of God. You know that it's about an experience with God, and it's not something that you're looking for and trying to observe. All right, so that's the pharisaical, the wrong perspective. But we find that Jesus quickly controlled the narrative and turned his attention to his disciples and gave some solid instruction defining what the kingdom of God is and how we can approach it in a way that makes sense. And this is today. This is where we make sense of what our lives should be in the gospel and how we should be living in God's kingdom. Look at verse 22 and verse 23 in our text. And he said unto his disciples, right? How many want to be a disciple of God? How many want to be a, just a Jesus follower? Then receive what he's about to say. Put yourself in that position. Let's sit down right now and hear the words of our Savior and say, that, I want to be a disciple. You can't want to be a disciple and it stop there and you continue your problematic pharisaical way. If you've been confronted already with this idea of pharisaical living where you're making demands from God, where you're trying to call the shots, where you're not happy with where he has you, where you're just totally done with everything that's going on right now, if that's you, then you have to repent. You have to change. You have to put yourself in this place where you're like, I want to be a disciple. I, I want to be able to endure uh, hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's one or the other. And when you get to the end of this passage of scripture, one taken, one left. One in the field, one gone. It's important. It's vitally important that you understand that you have a pastor that believes with all of his heart that Jesus is coming again and he will bring about the two kingdoms together and he will set up the spiritual and the physical on this earth 100%. And if Jesus is not in your heart, if you are not a true disciple of him, then you are serving another kingdom. Then you are a part of the problem and not the solution. And he will say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. You're not a part of my family. I have not redeemed you. It is vitally important that we not live in the middle. It is vitally important that if we are disciples of Christ, that we accept him and his message and we live it and forget our biases and forget what kind of load of crap the devil is feeding you. You understand? It's important. So when he says, to, when he, when he says in this text, goodness gracious, 
And when, let's see, 22. And he said unto his disciples, we, we should immediately incline our ears unto that. We should be like, okay, oh, okay. all right, I'm in. I'm in. God, say it to me. And you have that opportunity right now. Verse 22 and 23. They shall say unto you, see here, say, see there. Jesus said this. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth out of one part unto the heaven shineth unto the other, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. The first thing he says is stand firm. Don't go after them. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. Let me read you this. It's not, I don't think it's in the screens. Let me read you this, this text here real quick. If Lord knows if I could find it. Listen to this verse. Finally, my brethren, Paul's words, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He told his disciples, the day will come when ye shall desire to see one of these days and ye shall not. They shall say unto you, see here, see there, go not after them. Here's the command, number one, stand firm. Point number one, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, in this turbulent time, stand firm. Don't move from the gospel. Jesus said these days will come. Jesus, uh, want Jesus more than what the devil offers you. If the devil comes to you and suggests something to you that sounds good, that looks good, that maybe, and remember, this war is happening on the inside. If you are buying into a philosophy on the inside that you are better than, that you have uh, a marketing edge on the love of God and that God loves you more than someone else and that God cares about you more than someone else, you are moving. You, you are in quicksand. You are in a place that is not the position of Christ, but the devil is saying low here. He is saying low there. He's saying, listen to that. Watch that movie. Watch that YouTube video. Watch this philosophy. Listen, there is no shortage of self-help garbage that is out there to lead you away from who Jesus is. There is no shortage of humanism in this world that will suggest to you to stand on anything other than Jesus. The word of God is pure. The precepts of the Lord are right. They're altogether righteous. This word is a perfect word, purified seven times in the fire. It does not return void. It will pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. This word will lead you. It is something to stand on. And if you are not standing on it, you're in quicksand. When you encounter a problem of culture, when you encounter a problem of the news media, when you encounter a problem that you think you can solve, you're not standing on Jesus. Stand firm. Don't become distant by distraction. Don't become sidelined because of spiritual ADD. Be still and know that I am God. I'm just blown away. Everybody's trying to get people to pick a side. You know the side I pick? This one. Some days I'm in people's good graces and some days I'm not. But the point is, is I never move. The message of the Bible is still the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? I'm going to stand firm on God's word and I'm not going to let, uh, I'm not going to let some kind of agenda 
drive me to a position that is not a position that I uh, should take other than my one that I'm standing on in Jesus. Stand firm, church. Stand firm. And if you're, listen, and at this point in the message, you should be like, well, I know, I'm trying to stand, but I don't, I don't know if I'm standing at the right spot. <laughs> Romans 12 is going to make it abundantly clear where you should be standing. So just hang, hang tight. It's going to be abundantly clear. But before we get there to the end where it's like, Paul is like, hey, right there, stand right there. You ever see those slap competitions where the two dudes stand there? And inevitably, it's like one little skinny dude and then one big old dude. You know what I'm talking about? And in the slap contest, the little skinny dude is like a paperweight. And the guy's like, whoa! And the skinny guy just like floats. And then he comes back. And then he's like, kaboom! You know? And then the big guy like knocks out. Anyway, you got to YouTube it. Slap contest. It's good stuff. (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. This is like the slap contest. We're standing there, and Paul is on the other side of the table, and he's like, okay, right there, it's my turn. Here's the scripture that I'm about to give you. All of you think you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're really a bunch of walking dead. Let me help you with something. (laughs) Romans 12. And this week I was like, oh, my goodness gracious. Knock me for a loop. I was like, man, I'm not doing that, and I'm not standing there. So you know what I did? Woke myself up. And I repented, and I said, Lord, help me stand there. So stand firm. Number two, stay faithful. Stay faithful. When God reveals it to you, what you're supposed to be doing and where you're supposed to be standing, don't leave it. Good heavens. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin, Scripture says. And the problem, the problem, here's what I find, is not all of the things that are ambiguous, it's the things that you do know. Christians, I understand that some concepts in theology might be hard to grasp. It, it might be a hard pill to swallow, but you know what's not hard? Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves with, with believers. You know what's not hard? Loving each other. You know what's not hard? Coming to church, showing up, praying for each other. There are so many things. Read your Bible and pray every day. There are so many things that will allow you to understand where to be firm and where to be faithful, but we're not faithful to what we know to do. You think God is going to reveal himself more to you when you have become uh, complacent with his goodness from the beginning? Christians, it, it it is a time to be faithful. It is a time to put God in front of everything else that the devil is suggesting to you. Do you understand what is on the line? Heaven and hell. Separation from God for eternity or together forever with the Lord. And you're, you're, we're really toying with that. And there are others, co-workers, family members that are watching. And Jesus is saying, are you a disciple or are you not? One day you're faithful and the next day you're not. That means you're not faithful. You wake up and you tell the Lord that you're going to meet him. He shows up and you don't. I, I, what do we do with that? We change. That's what we do. Well, I guess I'm not cut out for it. No, 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 no. Don't, 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 let your, don't let the devil use guilt, shame, and fear to take you out of the game. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get in the game. A just man falleth seven times, yet what? Riseth up again. Get up. It is not a time to just say, oh, everything's going to hell. Sure, it's a little bad. He told us it was going to be this way, John 16, 33. 
and the most flaky people on the face of the planet are Christians. I mean, there are people dying for their faith in other countries, and we're like, you guys want to serve? Fill in the blank in one of our spots. Man, I don't know. I got a hangnail. I don't know if I can make it. Pastor Matt, can you come give me a pedicure and clean it up for me, and then I'll be there. Got you. <laughs> what else do you need? I mean, Chelsea and I are to the point now, we're giving away $100 gift cards to people who want to show up in their spot. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes to get people faithful. The real kingdom of God is something that you stand firm and you stay faithful in. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It is imperative, stay with me, it is imperative that we restore, I'm sorry, it is imperative that we resolve our inward tension with outward movement towards Jesus. I got this problem, I just don't know. Okay, inward tension, outward movement towards Jesus. Not outward decoration, walking dead. Not pharisaical, look at me, I'm party. That's the problem. The people who are faithful, oh my goodness, are people that are there posturing themselves. Oh my goodness gracious. Oh to God that we would just be a genuine people that shows up to stand firm in the gospel, that shows up to stay faithful to our Savior. And we have outward movement towards Jesus for our inward conflict. 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8. This is a verse that's overlooked. The Bible says that Lot's soul was vexed. Lot's righteous soul was vexed. You have to understand that Lot had a season in the world. Lot had a season where he was fallen. Lot had a time when he was in sin, if you will. And, and Peter says it, it vexed his righteous soul to be there. What we have to understand is if we are faithful, that might not be that we're faithful on the outside, but we are faithful on the inside. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You haven't been faithful to God. You've been slipping away, but your heart is telling you. Your heart, your conscience, is, it, it is grating on you, and you know that you're far from God, and you know you need to do what's right. Hey, get out of Sodom. But one of the most chilling verses in this whole passage is what? Remember Lot's wife. Hey, if you stay too long, if you decide too late, who knows what you're going to lose because you stayed in the world too long. Your, your righteous soul might be vexed, but what about your children that don't know the Lord? Your righteous soul might be vexed, but what about your spouse? Remember Lot's wife. There is so much riding on the line. The devil is so good at what he does. We have to stay faithful. God will one day bring the two kingdoms together. Until then, stay faithful. Here's the final point. How are we going to do this thing? How are we going to stand firm and stay faithful? We're going to do those two things by being spirit-filled. By being spirit-filled. This is what hit me this week hard. You cannot, you cannot stand firm and stay faithful on your own. In fact, you can't do it at all. Philippians 1.6, let he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The only hope that we have is that the Holy Spirit of God will do it through us. It was expedient that Jesus go away so that his spirit would come and dwell, renovate us from the inside. Think about this. Get the picture, right? We have around us chaos. Follow me. Follow me here. 
Think about what the Bible has done, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, Galatians says, was, I'm I'm just going to give you a little theology lesson here, you ready? The Old Covenant, the law, was a schoolmaster, Galatians says, to lead us to grace. So what it did was it showed us that on the outside, we could not fulfill the law. God was up on the mountain giving the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. And what were they doing down in the camp? Moses left for ten minutes. And they were like, hey, Aaron, make me a golden calf. (laughs) Right? I mean, he's gone ten minutes and they're down there naked, throwing their clothes off, dancing. Let's serve a golden calf. God literally just parted the Red Sea. What does this do? It proves to us, I love this. It proves to us that if we saw signs and wonders, it still wouldn't make a difference. We're still lazy and we're still sinners. Well, if Jesus was here, if he would would do something right now, I'd believe it. No, you wouldn't. It would not change your position in him at all if he came down here and did a miracle. The children of Israel literally, (laughs) they woke up and there's manna. They woke up and there's quail. This is awesome. You know, they're eating and the first time they're hungry... What's up, God? Man, come on. Are you for real? You're literally, your inclination is to complain instead of to ask your father for more. We do it today, don't we? God has provided over and over and over, and our first inclination is to get mad at God and make a demand. Pharisaical. Instead of praying to God and saying, hey, God, maybe you're, maybe you're drawing me into a season of famine for a reason. I feel you close. We, we miss it. But the point of it, the point is that the old covenant shows us that we cannot do. And that the new covenant, when Jesus came, the veil of the temple was rent. It was no longer something that was happening inside a building where a priest goes to God for you. God said, literally, I'm going to make a way. I'm going I'm to claim you righteous. I'm going to pay for all of your sins. And God himself is going to come live in your heart and you will be the temple of God. Now, what, what we see is everything else physically around us is falling apart. Entropy. What is that? The second law of thermodynamics, all of these things are playing out in our world and destruction is happening, but we as a Christian can from the inside feel renewed. We can then look at someone literally taking advantage of us and say, from the inside, I can love you. From the inside, I can give my last dollar to support you. Why? That's new kingdom. That's spiritual coming kingdom being played out towards someone else that is a part of the old kingdom. That's that's the tension of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant, the New Testament. We are to be new creatures in Christ so that we bring the change of the Old Covenant to what? The New Kingdom. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Here it is. This is the passage that you need to write down, that you need to own, that you need to see what it's like to live New Covenant, disciple-making type of life. Romans 12, go there if you have your Bibles. And we'll be done in just a few moments. Poor kiddos, you've done so good. River's got her whole room up here on the front row. (laughs) Romans 12, they're like, ah, we hear dad preaching at home all the time. We're good. You already got your three this week, didn't you? Yeah, all right. Romans 12, verses 9. Open your hearts. The word of God is powerful. Are you ready for this? 
Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Is it up there? Oh, my goodness. See that word dissimulation? Let me just bring this whole thing together for you. You know what that word means? Let love be without hypocrisy. Let it, let it not be an illusion. Let your love be something that isn't an illusion of something else. Walking dead. Walking dead. If you're a disciple and you care about standing firm where God wants you to be and staying faithful to the things of God, you have to be spirit-filled because that's the only way you can be an authentic Christian without pain on the barn and dead man's bones on the inside. This whole context right there, let your love be without dissimulation, it brings us into exactly what we're talking about from Luke 17. You see, our love, I know I'm guilty of it, it looks like we're loving, but there's a hook to our love. There's a reason why we're loving. There's, there's something in it for us. There's something in it. Or we, we should have loved someone else, but we didn't love them as much as we loved someone else who maybe looked like us or acted like us or maybe came from a different background than us. Paul said, let your love. And here's a guy that was a religious zealot for Judaism and now he's going, guys, I had it wrong. We are not better than them. Hey, hey Jews, it's Greek, barbarian, Scythian, it doesn't matter. Jesus paid, I, I'm telling you, I literally saw him. He, he paid for everyone's sin. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be real. Let your love be alive. Don't let it be dead. Don't let your love come from some kind of brotherly love, some kind of other reason that you're reaching out to somebody. Why don't you let your love be agape love? Why don't you let God's love come through you and let it be without hypocrisy? You know the only way we're going to fix what's going on is if we love people that are different than us. Why, Pastor Matt? Because that's loving without dissimulation. We're going to have to love people that don't think the way we think. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to position your carnal mind out of the picture and say, I'm going to love you with my spiritual mind because I know God loves you. Because I know God loves you no matter what. Are you with me? We don't need to discuss politics. We don't need to know who you're voting for. We don't need to know where you stand on these issues. There are natural divisions, like abortion. That's murder. There are natural things that will position us in certain places. But it's the devil that is keeping us divided through these positions. When, when Jesus said, listen, let your love be without hypocrisy. Let me go ahead and love who I want to love through you. But unfortunately, we put up the barrier. And we go, I'm uncomfortable to go there. But that's where I've called you to go. Uh, Jonah... You're going to go to Nineveh. Some of y'all are more than willing to take a dip in the sea and be swallowed by a whale than to go love someone that you really don't love. That's a shame. Let your love be without dissimulation. But just the fact that Paul said it should make you feel good and okay, right? Because he knows that you're going to deal with these tensions. Why? Because they dealt with them, just like we dealt with them. And we can face them. All right, all right, right here. Abhor that which is evil. You got, you got to follow this. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly 
if, if you follow the scripture, ah, I'm like so consumed with it. If you follow the scripture, you will stand firm. You will be faithful. It's not easy, but listen to it. Be kindly affectionate one toward another with brotherly love. And honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. Spirit-filled. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Watch this. Patient in tribulation. Instant in prayer. <sighs> Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And maybe this line is the biggest. Here it comes. You ready? You ready for it? Paul's about to be like, rejoice with them that do rejoice. And read it with me. Weep with them that weep. Do I need to say anything else? But, but I don't see it from their perspective, but I, I, don't, I can't get there. You don't have to get there. You can just cry with them because you love them. And it might not be their perspective as yours, but you know God loves them just like he loves you, and you can cry with anybody. Mm. Weep with them. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own deceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, say it with me, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. That's hard, isn't it? Whew. Avenge not your own selves, but rather give place under wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, say it with me, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with what? The gospel is an upside-down mentality. Whatever your earthly, temporal, carnal mind wants to do, guess what we need to do? The opposite. Where are we with this? The kingdom that should matter the most to us today is who is ruling in your heart. If it is not by observation, it is, if it is not without and it is within, let me ask you the question. Who is ruling in your heart? Some of you have some hatred in your heart. And Satan is loving it. He's having a heyday with it. Maybe it's just this much, but that's all we need. It's just a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. We need to identify things in our life that put us against the spiritual kingdom and put us working for spiritual darkness in high places. 1 Corinthians 16, 6, 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? What ye have of God and ye are not our own. When Jesus comes back and judges the world, you will be the manifestation of your heart. You will be the manifestation of your heart. Some of y'all need to face it today instead of that day. For you to face the evil that is in your heart and ask Jesus to save you from it today would be a better decision than to foster the hate and evil that's in your heart and then Jesus comes back and you pay for that for an eternity. 
And if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation already, then why don't you trust him for your sanctification? Why don't you let God rule in your life now and save you in your day-to-day life, not just your eternity? If you know that you don't deserve the grace that you got, then you know that you should be sharing it with every man and not being a respecter of persons. Walking dead. Walking dead. How many want to be agents of life today? Okay, every head bowed, every eye closed. You just do business with God right there, right there in your seat. Is there something that you need to confess? Is there something that you need to confess? Then confess it, forsake it, get it out of there. Do business with God. I encourage you today, don't be walking dead. I mean, life is too short. This life is but a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. What is it in your life that has taken you out of the game? You're not really concerned with being a disciple anymore. You were excited at one point in time in your life. But it just got old. Now where you once had compassion towards someone that was different than you, you saw them as someone God loves, but now you just can't get there anymore. There's no way you could weep with a person that doesn't look at things the way you do. No way. But God would. One of the most profound verses in Scripture is Jesus wept. We have a God that was human and God. He knows how you feel. He knows the tension. He knows. He he had brothers and sisters. He saw it firsthand. He wants to lead you into that life. Be a part of that change. Sit there and take a few moments and pray and spend some time with God. I'm going to get ready for baptism. We have two today that are joining the church through baptism. And then we have two more. They were here at the early service that are joining today uh, through the starting point class by uh, statement of faith. So four folks are joining our church, two during this service, two from the other. And uh, God is continuing to grow his church during this time. So I'm going to get ready for baptism. Take this time, though, and just pray in your seats that God will continue to do a work in your heart.